Welcome to the Blooms and Barnacles podcast. I'm Dermot. And I'm Kelly. And this is the podcast where we talk about everything related to James Joyce's Ulysses. And this is a special, I guess it's not special because we're going to try to do this regularly. This is a, a Dermot helmed episode that I've entitled The Nostalgia Trap. Mm. So Dermot, tell me, well, let me start by saying something. Is one thing we've discussed behind the, the scenes a bit is we really like doing the episodes that dive directly into the text of Ulysses. But Dermot, and I should just let him speak for himself, let Dermot speak. <laughs> um, but that we, we kind of think it's a good idea to have some episodes that talk about Irish culture and the experience of being Irish more generally to give context to the novel for readers who are not Irish, which is the majority of our, our listeners. Yeah, because I think there are aspects to the Irish um, character. I uh, don't want to be too essentialist about it, but there are certain characteristics of the Irish that might be lost on people mm -hmm. um, because it's easy for the Irish to project like the, the happy-go-lucky, oh, foy diddly dee, aren't we a grand little country um, idea. And so we're kind of the authors of that ourselves to some degree. And then also people who leave Ireland tend to uh, develop um, uh, very wistful ideas and sentimental ideas about mm -hmm. the country. And I think you, when you're an Irish person in America, it's really great because you're one of the cuddly groups that everyone loves to love. But if you're coming to understand Ulysses, you have to get past some of that uh, and dig down a little bit, I think. And that's what I've noticed about a lot of people that I've met here is that they really don't take the trouble uh, to do that because it's, it's a lot of work. But if you're reading this enormous book that is a lot of work, mm -hmm. then hopefully some of this conversation will be useful to you because we're trying to get past that. Yeah, so, and this episode is a little different because we do talk about James Joyce in it, but we also talk a lot about our personal experiences with nostalgia and the kind of nostalgia that arises of, from being an expat in a foreign country. And I've been kind of um, spooked a little bit by some of the bits about Stephen Daedalus because he reminds me eerily of myself. I left Ireland at the same, roughly the same age and in a remarkably similar state of mind uh, with a very similar attitude toward the country. So I'm seeing myself as a young man kind of reflected in him and a lot of that anger and outrage and self-righteousness and, <laughs> and all the rest of it. And uh, I hope that, you know, I think I've lightened up a bit over the years. Mm -hmm. Hopefully James did a bit too. Uh, again, we'll be talking about how, how memory can play tricks on us uh, if we're not careful. And uh, we'll talk about whether or not we think Joyce, because obviously, you know, I'm not mm -hmm. the Joyce expert here. I've never read the book, but I, I am an expert on being an Irish person who's <laughs> left Ireland at the age of 23 in a, in a yeah. state of extreme high dudgeon and self-righteousness. I have a PhD in that. So uh, um, and it is an angle that I think is very important in terms of understanding, I think, mm. in him. Yeah. And we are joined in this episode, too, by our friend Tom O'Leary who is the owner and proprietor of T.C. O'Leary's Irish Pub in Northeast Portland. He was the subject of our very first episode. Tom is a fantastic human being. He is the co-founder of the Ulysses Book Club at that same pub, which is how I know him, and how we both got into Ulysses at the, around the same time. He's also a professional actor who has appeared on Irish television. That yep. is that. And yeah, more, more importantly, he's a, another friend of ours who's had this experience of mm -hmm. leaving his home country. And it really, his position's interesting because he sells, I think, the American idea of nostalgia about mm -hmm. Ireland back to us Americans in the form of his bar and the yep. music that they play there and the programs that they do. Yep. So he has a very different relationship to that sort of thing than, that, than, than I do. Than Dermot does. Because I sound a little bit cranky. You do sound a little bit cranky, but that's, you know. Uh, no, I, I, no, I love, you know, I love the old quiet man stuff as much as anybody. But mm -hmm. I think for, a, a, like I said, a person who genuinely does want to get mm -hmm. past the, the surface appearance of the country. I, I think this is something we will talk about in future episodes, too, because mm -hmm. it's really interesting. Yeah. And, um, uh, you know, there's, there's far more depths to it than the, the tourist board adverts yeah. that we like to sell to and the rest I think of the world. that and we'll talk about this more in the episode but Tom raises a good point that really is inspiring this style of Blooms and Barnacle episode which is that it's while it's true that many Americans don't know a lot about Ireland 
it's it's hard to know a lot about a country that's thousands of miles away. Well, you you. But um, having that kind of knowledge about Ireland will help you understand Ulysses better, mm-hmm. even if it seems not related at first. Right, and they, you know, your your experience is going to be mediated through movies and plays and sure. literature and. Um, you know, and it's it's not podcasts. the same in the podcasts, mm-hmm. um, and it's, it, nothing's the same as being there. Mm-hmm. And a couple of programming notes before we go to the episode. Usually, I try to keep it pretty PG thirteen, but uh, we we say some f words in this episode, <laughs> so just keep that in mind if that's a problem for you. And also, we recorded this at Tom's bar mm-hmm. while it was closed, but his. Cook was in preparing vegetables and things for the day. So you might hear her chopping carrots in the background. There's an air conditioner that goes on and off. And, oh, should we talk about the thump? Yes, which might be my foot accidentally tapping the table. Or a ghost. And I'm going to go with ghost. There are some mysterious thumps. I, while we were recording it, I don't know what was causing them. But I'm, I'm choosing to blame it on a ghost. There's a really eerie one where Tom talks about his mother when she has dementia and she starts speaking in irish and there sounds it's like there's a heartbeat that suddenly appears mm, yeah that's really so spooky. yeah if you have any theories about the thumps uh you know let us know if the theory is why don't you learn how to do audio editing you asshole <laughs> like um you can write that down on a piece of paper and put it in your pocket that's yeah. where it will best serve humanity yes, yes um i'm aware that we are novices <laughs> Send us your uh, your address and we'll mail you a full refund. <laughs> the nothing that you've paid for this. 100% um, of zero. But all joking aside, if pristine audio quality is... We did our best to clean it is, up. ...is your standard of entry to podcast, uh, this might be an episode for you to skip, but I don't think it's so distracting yeah, that you right. can't hear it. It's on par with the Sweeney's episode and the cello tape. Yeah, you've heard, you've heard worse in theory. Yeah. And be sure to check out the episode notes of the show... So if you want to know more about Tom's Bar, T.C. O'Leary's, which you should definitely visit if you're ever in the Portland area, all of their social media and web presence is in our notes. Um, if you'd like to donate to Sweeney's Pharmacy, there's a link in our notes where you can do that. We've talked about them in a couple other episodes. And Tom, Dermot, and I all submitted our personal favorite nostalgia traps of things that that pull on our heartstrings in a nostalgic way, for better or for worse. That you have to be afraid of because they're quite uh, hypnotic, you know. Yeah, yeah. You can end up living in the past that never really wasn't as much fun as you you think. That's a little fun uh, addendum for people who actually go to our website, which should be all of you. Uh, Without further ado, let's take it away. So we're going to be talking about nostalgia Mm -hmm. and the nostalgia that uh, immigrants or emigrants have people who left their country uh, and the kind of the vision of their country that begins to develop over time and how this might apply to James Joyce and his view of uh, of the Ireland that he left because I don't think he was very badly infected with this disease because I think it's a bit of a mind virus so what I what I'd like to do is just from my point of view just I'll talk for a little bit and tell you where my what kind of clued me into this and how you know being involved with the Joyce podcast has kind of made me kind of conscious of a lot of this. But many years ago, I, I knew a man uh, who had should, left Ireland. Should we do a little lead-in first? Like, uh, oh, we're, we're here with Tom. Well, we can do that in the, I don't Okay. All right, go for it. I want to save Tom's time. All right. Because we can do that. All right, go for it. So in the 1970s, uh, a friend of mine left Ireland in around 1972, and then he came back in the mid-1980s, and he was horrified to find out that the country had changed. And I thought that was really kind of sad and funny that he thought that the country wasn't going to change just because he left. <laughs> but over the years, I've encountered this issue, but it can, get, it can be really sinister and sort of weird or creepy. And about five years ago at the coffee shop across the street, uh, I, I was introduced to a, an older couple, I would say in their early to mid-60s, who had got back from Ireland after a big holiday. And uh, when they found out I was Irish, they began telling me what the holiday they had. And their eyes literally lost focus and glazed over. And... I, I dissolved, like I wasn't standing in front of them anymore. And to be perfectly honest, my attitude to those people was, fuck the two of you. You know, if you want to live your, relive your, your lovely holiday, do it on your own time. You know, I'm standing here right in front of you, you idiots. And, uh, and then a year later, even worse, more depressing, and, and why I kind of almost wanted to stop talking to people in America about this, but 
I was I used to do these like 30-hour Amtrak train rides, and I'd go to the observation car and hang out and drink, and and I still drank, and I, I needed after meeting these people. But anyway, they heard my Irish accent, and they started talking about Ireland, and out came the hoary old stories about uh, that from their great-great-grandparents uh, uh, about how you know when somebody died, the corpse was propped up in the coffin by the wall, and you know all this stuff. And um, sorry for interrupting. Were these people who were Americans who had Irish heritage, or were these Irish people retelling stories to you? The, at oh, this these point? were Irish Americans, but Irish they're, they're great grandparents or their great great grandparents. Right. I think probably their great grandparents are talking about. And they were maybe in their late fifties, early sixties as well. Yeah. So we're talking about maybe ancestors who had left Ireland in like nineteen hundred or nineteen oh four, you know. Right. But they're telling me these stories that were just completely obsolete. I mean, there's there's no like living Ireland that resembles this. So I, I asked them, and here's where it frightened me. I said, Have you ever been to Ireland? Expecting no. And they said, Oh yeah, we were there three years ago. And I thought, what you were there when Google was there and Facebook was there and half of Dublin is now tech bubble hell. Uh, uh, what, what, what went on in your brain that you had to mentally not see the country that was right in front of you, the living, breathing country that's nothing like the one your great-grandparent left? Yeah, that might yeah. as well be the planet Mars based on the stories you just told me, but you still project that dead country if it ever even existed in the form that you're describing right you know because it's been filtered through memories and memories of memories and memories of memories of memories and it's a it's a it's a i'm going to get fancy here so well can i jump in jump in i have i have heard these stories a lot of times from dermot yeah I, do these match your experience as an irish person living in america tom um because i think our two countries to borrow a phrase have a special relationship they do and um and both dermot and i are, are kind of in different positions whereas I'm selling my Irishness mm -hmm. really am at the door of my pub uh, and as part of uh, building community and connecting and communicating with the people around us and originally thinking well is there a market for an Irish bar all of the above it does require me to listen to a lot of stories yes. about Ireland yeah. um, and I wouldn't say that I have that many stories that are that people will go that far back to. I mean, the, the most the most interesting story would be Dick Feeney, my father-in-law's mother, who, as she got older and became more, I, I believe she got she been kind of senile in a way that at a certain time every day around noon for a couple of hours, she only spoke in Gaelic. That was it. She went to this place and she spoke in Gaelic. And that was a, <coughs> that's a very unique thing. Yeah. Um, and that was very real uh, as part of her, obviously a, a huge imprint in her past, right. past memories. Right. So that's, yeah, that, that's a very interesting thing for me to hear. Um, but I think in general, with the amount of people that I've met who are Irish-American, uh, Irish expat who come through here, obviously it's a different conversation. The Irish expat, if they've lived here a long time, they usually get home once a year. Yeah. And they've, you know, they're not living in two countries. They're living in the United States. They're living here in Portland, which is fantastic. It's a really good quality of life. So uh, thinking back to Ireland, I think they... they I don't think in most cases they yearn to return home. Mm. I think they're very happy with where they are and, and would have been part of that. A lot of these expats anyway would have been part of that 80s necessity to get out yeah. of Ireland because there was yeah. nothing. Me too. Yeah. 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 So they got here and they got an opportunity and they uh, have, have built a career and a family and whatever else in America. Um, they're certainly happy to go home and love that the country's doing so well. Mm. Um, I don't sense a real sense of negativity towards uh, or a picture of a past there in that case. But with regular customers coming through the door, they quite often want to, to discuss their family heritage, whether they found their family heritage, um, how interesting it is that when you go to the small town, this sort of stuff I'm really intrigued by. If somebody says they're from, from I don't know, from some tiny little town in, in, in Leitrim, 
you know, uh, Drumshambo or somewhere, right. when they go to that town and they take a look around that town, they find such a familiar quality in the eyes and the faces so close to their own aunts and uncles and family here right. that it's it's kind of shocking I think to some people it's, and it's very reassuring I think to, to, to Irish Americans that they may never have set foot in Ireland their whole family line may never have returned to Ireland in three generations but when they've returned mm -hmm. they literally see their own Uncle John or whatever in the people in that local village right. and that's a, you know it's a true connection and a circle you know returning home and all that kind of stuff um, and even in our case again with Dick Feeney, when we got married, we got married in County Clare, in, in Kilfenora in County Clare. The reason why we picked the town, well, I fell in love with that little village and uh, I witnessed a, a ghost appeared in a, in, a, in a bedroom of a house I was staying in years, <laughs> years previous to that. And then it, it turned out... Uh, through some jostling between Siobhan and I about what the hell are we going to do about getting married and where, what country, etc. It just came down to this and went, Kilfenor is it. We're going, to, we're going to get married in the local church, two doors down from the local pub, Vaughan's pub. And, uh, and that was it. There was no other connection to it. This was a choice we made. Great. Perfect. It's going to be the perfect setting. And then only when we came to the... And I only watched this recently, actually, because Siobhan's sister and brother-in-law found old... Uh, 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 video, mini video, whatever it was they had, of Dick Feeney's speech, my father-in-law's speech, and he had he had found his family in that village. Yeah, so that was a very moving speech by Dick Feeney about his his great great grandmother had left that village mm -hmm. in County Clare and had moved. Still remembered it to America. Yeah, and found the link and the familiarity of the faces because they were O'Loughlin's that left. There's a pub O'Loughlin's in Ballyvaughan, I believe, uh, which we went to visit. And the owner, the son of the son of the son, who was still, you know, keeping the pub going, he looked so familiar to Dick Feeney, Dick Feeney's family. From, you know, that connection is amazing, yeah. putting those pieces back together, you yeah. know. So those sides of it I, I, I'm intrigued by from, from our customer's point of view. Mm -hmm. Do you, do you think Americans have a certain idea of what Ireland is like and one reason they connect with that kind of nostalgia piece so much is because when they go there, like the, the expectation is being met in some way? I would, I would certainly thought with a lot, of people, a lot of people that may have only known The Quiet Man as a reference to what Ireland mm -hmm. is, when they flew into Shannon and came uh, to the wedding in Kilfenora, they only drove from an airport through uh, on roads that had stone, uh, short stone walls and, you know, little cottages and little houses. Right. They literally were, were traveling through mm. quiet man country almost. Right. Uh, and, and the ones who came and did that and went back, that's all they experienced. They experienced a very romantic, yeah. rugged yeah. West, yeah. West of Ireland experience. Anyone who went to Dublin, though, and spent time in Dublin, <laughs> wow, might but, as well be Tokyo. You know, it's, yes, yeah. it's a very different world. I wonder if, world. though, because people want that experience, that they kind of filter out the Google yeah. and the... Yeah, I think... Oh, it's, absolutely. Yeah. And, the, yeah, I mean, I, I would presume that they're not going to Ireland to experience, uh, you know, San Francisco or something. Right. They want to find that little gem of Ireland. But the one thing that everybody comes back with, which, again, is... Uh, Big generalization, but Irish people are just fantastic people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, yeah. Not yeah. not blowing smoke up, but they're, they're just incredibly friendly and generous mm -hmm. in, in to, and good humored. Mm -hmm. And they're great drinkers. Mm -hmm. What I mean by that is they're really good at drinking and having fun. Mm -hmm. They don't drink and get morose. They don't drink, get drunk and get violent, generally speaking. And, and the great crack, and they all leave the pub happily, and they go home. Yeah. It's a, it's a wonderful quality, yeah. you know. And I, I think that's what a lot of people end up experiencing in Ireland. Yeah. Can, it's, it's some of it is th like things I've noticed about home that I've only noticed since I left, you know, because yeah, some of this you take for granted when you're there, and then when you leave for a little bit and you look back and you you have to like see how other countries do things, and then you go, oh wait a minute, you know, there's things about us that really are a little bit odd. And oh, absolutely. I, and again, you've been, you guys have been back 
couple of times now. Yeah. Uh, and I'm going back in June, and every time is is a very different experience where I, I see a lot more from an, as an outsider's perspective. Yeah. Of the Irish cynicism, or the Irish, which is a conversation not, not that a t- an American tourist is going to have with an Irish person. Yeah. Right. It's an Irish person. Yeah. Who's going to have that with an Irish so person? So what's, right. what's an right. example of something that you've noticed when you, you've gone back? It's a good question. Um, For you two. The same thing exists in Ireland, as always did, which is, although Ireland is now such a rich, uh, rich country, I think in its identity, financially, I don't think it's doing terribly. Uh, I think Brexit probably will... E- even give us more, uh, uh, more of a stronger identity in Europe. Um, but there still is that under, underlying feeling of, ah, geez, I wouldn't be bothered doing that now. You really, you're, gonna, you're doing that, you're trying that, you're doing that. There's just that thing of, ah, why would you bother, you know? And it, it, it's probably more obvious now than it ever is when you look at the political situation in England, how... Uh, how much they actually care about Northern Ireland and how they care about Brexit and what they know of Northern Ireland and uh, what, what the hierarchy in England, uh, how they are connected to other classes, etc., and the Irish nation. Um, you kind of see how generations upon generations of uh, an Irish nation that have had the English over us in a, in a big way, where that idea would stem and develop, whereas in America, there's no room for that. There is no, in a sense, uh, hierarchy overlooking your choices and your decisions and your ambitions. I think in Re- well, of- who am I? I'm a white Irish man. Couldn't white man in America? Yeah, of course I can say anything because of course everything's up to me. But uh, but yeah, that's that's. I still, I still go home and would think there's an element of cynicism. Although Ireland is a new, has a new young attitude, um, and I've experienced that. Whereas here, people really do want to see people succeed. I think, yeah, in terms of like Brexit and nostalgia, we're talking in the last podcast about nostalgia and happy times in the past, and do the Irish have one? I don't think we do. And uh, yeah, does, does Ireland have a time in its past that was a golden like, age? You mean like a generation? Yeah, or like a... how like people idealize like the 1950s in America. Yeah. Where it's like, oh man, oh, certain kind well, of people sure. do. But I'd love to have gone back and lived in the 20s or the 60s. Right. You know? But if you said that to an Irish person, okay, you're going to relive the 50s, but you're going to do it in Ireland. Oh God, no. You know, that'd be... I think so. But again, a, yeah. simpler times and... and uh, we grew up in the 70s and... We had F all. We had nothing. Yeah, we had nothing. Yeah. Sticks to play with. Literally. I mean, oh, here I am. <laughs> now I'm going to the place where yeah, everyone yeah, thinks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I see how, how easy it is to fall into this hole. Yeah. The Dermot told, you told me once you had like a phone for your whole block or something? No, like no. My parents, we had, we had, when they had to call me when I moved to America first, they had to go to the phone box like right. about a quarter mile from okay. the house. Yeah, yeah. Because they well they couldn't afford a phone in their house. We used to have one, then we just lost, and we couldn't keep up with the bills. Yeah. Because my dad was just unemployed for so long. And, right. Because uh, the unemployment rate was about twenty percent before. Crazy. You know, I mean, you know, there's there's no way that you can you know have not a huge number of people wrecked, and so they'd have to go down to this chilly little phone box in January and like I'd talk to them for like ten minutes pass each. Pass the phone and over the there, phone and, and that in itself. I mean, it's all relative. That was a magic experience yeah, but for them. We're, we're talking about 1996 here, so... Kind uh, of embarrassing, but, an, <laughs> you know, a magic experience. It wasn't for them in January. I'm sure, I'm sure. But, yeah, thinking back to those experiences when technology was extremely limited and, and, the, and, and the one TV show, whatever it was, or the Late Late Show, an Irish, hmm. you know, show was on... Uh, Everybody in the country either witnessed that live or certainly talked about it that evening or the next day. So there was a much smaller pool of information coming through. And yeah, ignorance is absolute bliss. And I think Ireland, if anything, could say that. Um, but I think like being a, a colonized country, rather than the British, for example, I, I think the British are in the nostalgia trap. And I think it's one of the things that gave them Brexit because they've yeah. been living in this dream state since the end of the war. Uh, a D-Day, Churchill, 
bonkers and the blitz and the blitz spirit and you shouldn't have rough sherry and you have yeah yeah and all this rubbish and your gary oldman impression yeah yeah so they give me the oscar please uh but then they have this idea that oh yeah we're gonna get empire 2.0 no you're not um you know you're gonna have something really bad happen to you now because you have this dream that you're living in of the the empire and the the british indomitable rubbish all this stuff and it's a uh, you know, it's not that there's not an aspect of that that isn't real, but there's a 50% of it's a dream. It's not exactly the way it was. And that's that's my issue with people who fall into that kind of trap of maybe idealizing or over-idealizing the past. And yeah. maybe I think a little nostalgia is good, but I think potentially a lot of it could be psychologically damaging to a person if they lived in the dream, if, they, if yeah. that becomes like they who they are as a person rather than... I, I, and now I will hold up my hand. I haven't read Ulysses, but I've read a lot of it by proxy through Kelly. And, <laughs> and I think what it, the sense I get from Joyce was this incredible, unsentimental naturalism about the country he left. I can't imagine him coming back in 10 or 20 years and going, the country's all changed, you know, because I think in his mind, or if it had gone the wrong way, I, I think he would have had, he, he would have expected that. But I think from what you're describing about the passages in Ulysses, it's a, it's cold i mean talk about casting oh, a cold i wouldn't eye. call it cold well but talking about like the women walking down sandy mount strand with a bag that might have an umbilical cord trailing out the back of it that's not the kind of detail you write if you're trying to idealize there's or a romanticize. lot more ulysses than that i would say oh yeah if um, i'm wrong yell out that's why yo, absolutely that's what i'm doing Please do. um i i think there's certain aspects of it especially Wait till we get to the Leopold Bloom chapters, because mm-hmm. you only know Ulysses through Stephen Dedalus, right. who is a bit cold and calculating and, and callous right. in a lot He's of ways. A little, little, little bit like myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but Bloom is very, very different. He's very warm, and he, he really like sees the good in everybody. Yeah. Um, I, I know our reading group tends to prefer those chapters quite a bit. Yeah, and me personally... Uh, if Bloom is, uh, if 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 he is uh, a particular uh, tool in this book, it, it, it he he really does catalog everything, and he's 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 been given uh, as a character this um, attention to detail of what he sees and how he sees it, which is a lo- wonderful way to to travel through through Dublin through his eyes, right, um. Except when you get to Circe. Circe is yeah, or oh, my mother. Nausicaa is the one where he's masturbating on the beach. Right, yes, that one. Another thrilling experience. Beautifully written, though. You also get to hear about him, like, pooping and looking at ladies' butts and mm. getting yes, frustrated because a, 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 a carriage drives by when he was, at the exact moment, he was hoping maybe her, like, stockings right. would ride well, up well, a little. When I, when I say naturalism, that's mm. the kind of thing I'm talking yeah. about. You know, it's not flinching from all that bodily um, function stuff. But it's, it's also, there's a lot of him thinking about his daughter, who mm. he's, he's quite fond of, or... A lot of him thinking about his wife. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who's banging some fella. Place is boiling. Um, it's, it's a very... The book really changes gears once you get to that fourth chapter. Right. Yeah. Which is at the end of this very long... Uh, Proteus is... is just, it's just pure intellect. Mm-hmm. And then Bloom is meant to, to counter that. And his... He is a much more um, sort of layman's intellect. He doesn't have the, the Jesuit education and right. the... The probing mind. He's very curious about the world, but there's a, a childlikeness to it. Right. Um, that I, I, I find like I Stephen leaves me pretty cold, but there is a warmth to, to Bloom's worldview, and I, I like being in his head much better, even though he's kind of a pervert. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's very much in that imaginative world. Um, but I think that the changes that Ireland went under went during Joyce's life, he left in 1904-1905, and during that time, like, his time away from Ireland encompasses 1916, the Civil War, and Ireland becoming a republic, so I I think it would be quite shocking to him. Mm. Um, It's a part of his life I haven't read that much on yet, but Mm -hmm. um, what I was going to ask Tom especially, do you, so... You you've mentioned that there was there was hardship for both of you guys growing up when you did. Yes. But do you feel a nostalgia looking back on it? That's the first part of the question. And do you I do, do you see nostalgia yeah. for Ireland and Joyce's writings? Who he 
very pointedly said he did not like Ireland as a country. I have this issue. Uh, there's two parts in me that say, one says, uh, I think I have a creative side that wants to invent lots of things to help people. Here's an example. Um, I thought if you could take the, de the design, I'm going off, tar off tangent now for a second. Uh, if, you, if you could take the technology of a windscreen that's automatically wiping, right? And put that into uh, my mother's washing line with a motor, the washing could be put out and it would take itself in out of the rain and put itself out, right? Right. And my mother's in her 80s now. And I thought, well, it doesn't, isn't that brilliant? We could come up with an idea and we could do all this, make loads of money off this. So please, nobody else take this idea. I, I still am wanted. Co copyright. I want to copyright this thing. Copy Here it is. Here's the patent right now. <laughs> Live. Um, and then I went, you know what? No. Uh, I think it's very important for my mother go to, to run out to that garden yeah. and either get that stuff in or leave it out or fret about it yeah. in the day. Now, when you look at life now and the computer game, the phones and the things and all the other stuff, when you ask me about nostalgia, I think back to a time when we had a fireplace in the middle of a, of a two up, two down house that had to be lit every day, quite often by me when I came home from school if I was first home. Um, and the house would be freezing, your hands would be freezing trying to, to light the fire. Yeah. Only your walk home carrying a library of bags in your back was how you stayed warm. And you came in the door, you got that fire going, and the fire would get hot by the time you had to go to bed. And then you went to bed and it would cool down through the night. Um, there's where I, I that was hard. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't a bad place either. It was... You had a loving family around you. You had uh, that warmth was always there, regardless of the physical elements that were around you. And having toughened out those kind of things wasn't a bad thing at all. I feel, and I kind of do look back on that as a very, a very, you know, a, a lot of those experiences were like there, there wasn't always lots of food on the table. Yeah. You know, it wasn't a thing. I, I very seldom had. I never had candy really. You know, you had something you could take to school, which it was usually a little thing, like a penguin bar or some little thing. Right. Uh, and your sandwiches was two slices of bread with one little sliver of meat on it. That was your lunch. Yeah. All these things. But you grew up, but they didn't know anything else. Yeah. And looking back, you know, that was wonderful. I now look at my wonderful daughter's life and think, God love her. Jesus, it's going to be hard. Her house is surrounded, or her room is surrounded by soft toys, and every little thing she wants is there, and you know, everything, all that kind of stuff. And I go, well, I had one uh, soft toy, a little elephant. That was it, a little soft toy elephant. For all those years, you know? So, I love that simplicity. I do look back on that uh, with uh, a good sense, and it's, there's so much distraction now, there's so much mm -hmm. going on in the world. Are we in a better place? We can be, if you choose to be. Meaning, find the things that you want to focus on. But there's, yeah. there's a lot of distraction. And all of it's bloody so enjoyable. You know what I mean? It's which is, which like is very, very hard. Yeah. It's very hard to just have the life that we... Right. Which I loved, that simplicity. Yeah. We also have the freedom of being able to run around. Oh, yeah. that one... Gone all gone. day. All, all that stuff. That gone all day. You can't do that. No, none of that, that stuff. Yeah. yeah, even back home now, that's starting to tighten up. Oh, it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you're you're, sh you're, sh you're shuffling your kids. So I, you know what? As an adult, I look back at my parents in those years when we disappeared and thought they had some nice quality time to just do whatever they wanted. Um, and I don't think. I mean, they obviously thought about us all the time and loved us dearly, but they also had that freedom yeah. of not yeah. wrapping themselves around us, you know, which we do, which we do, and I do myself. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, it was a much it was healthier in that respect. Yeah. But then again, everybody had fifteen children, so they wouldn't even remember how many of yours. <laughs> Some of them were probably mixing in with the kids next door. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I raise nostalgia because I feel the pull of it. It's like a magnetic field or a gravity well, and it wants to pull you in. And the 1970s wants to eat me alive. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, you know, it really does. It's, it's got a power that, that the 90s doesn't have. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's funny because I look at the 90s as like this like magical, like perfect time in American history where like all the pop culture was the best. 
everything, it was the most delicious treats and things were available then. All the best movies came out in the 90s. All the best music was produced <laughs> roughly 1997. But I'll hear people wow. who are older than me who will be like, oh God, the 90s was just crap. It was so cheesy yeah. and tacky and commercial. Yeah. On a larger scale, though, you can fit with your life. You know, I do have mm -hmm. secondary pockets of nostalgia. Like, I moved to America in 1994. And for me, there's like a certain window in 93, 94 that I can look back on now. And I, I, I can feel that nostalgia warm start to radiate out of it. And I have to remember myself, wait a minute. When you moved to America first, you were so stressed out and not being able to find a job that one night you woke up screaming. Yeah. And, oh if you, and if you've ever woken up screaming, it's really not nice. No, and that's it's what, not. That's what was happening back then. So, yeah, yeah. so, so snap out of it. You know, there's stuff that you can look back on from a safe distance, and you go, "I can really enjoy now that memory in a way that I yeah. couldn't when I was living it." Because you know that it has a happy ending. Yeah, you know the outcome. Yeah. So you know Whether that it doesn't you don't end. Die. <laughs> it doesn't end with you screaming. You know that that's the first act. Yeah, that's an interesting point as well of of being here, America. Uh, making the choice to come to America and leave Ireland, which is a very safe yeah. environment to live in, yeah. I mean, even the social welfare and all the rest of it, even if you're out of work, there's, mm. there's you can survive very well. Mm. And that's hard. That's another issue is when you're thrown into the United States mm. or, or land here of your own accord, whatever way, you have to do or die. It really is do or die. And, and there is an enormous amount of emotional strength you have to realize when you're here yeah. mm -hmm. that, you, that, that morning you woke up screaming yeah. where you went, oh my God, this is, there is no safety net here. Mm -hmm. If I don't get myself yeah. together here, yeah. I am in very big trouble. I, I learned that as an adult American citizen at age 33 when I moved to Portland. Right. Because in Korea or Japan, like someone was always even Cambodia someone's always looking out for me I always had like adopted mothers and grandmothers very good just, of people I knew who would just kind of dote on me and look after me and I think at age 33 is the, the moving here is the first time I've ever been on my own as an adult right and it was horrible yeah it's it's not easy <laughs> it was really hard I you know um I think being an expat returning to your country you started from your home country it did not feel like home Korea felt much more like a homey place right um whereas here it's just like good luck with that you know wow that's a um, very interesting not korea is not like a, a warm to... squishy place mm. like i like korea a lot but it's korean worldview is, is harsh yeah but um there's also a feeling that if you you know something terrible happens to you there's just people around you who are going to help you out and here i was just like Oh God, if I can't pay my rent, I'm just going to be homeless. Right, right. <laughs> you know, that is, if, if yeah, I get that is sick, the fact. I'm either going to go bankrupt or die. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we're... I never faced those kind of existential terrors. Well, earlier when I was here, because I was young, um, either a student or living at home. And in Korea, I never experienced them. Because right. it's like... Oh, that'd be really bad if I racked up some medical bills, but it, we're talking thousands of dollars and not tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars. You know? um, yeah, it's 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 scary. There's, there's no guarantee of success. So it's nicer to live in a, a version of history that you yeah. know it turned out okay. I can imagine that. Yeah, know? and that's why in Korea too. Like I did not want to be in Korea anymore. Yeah. And as soon as I was here, I was like, oh, get me back to Busan. <laughs> right. This place is horrible. Reading then, because it's interesting to me to read Joyce's work and think that he's, he's, his life was very similar to mine in some ways, despite differences of time, gender, and location, which is that he was living in a, a part of the world that he felt was limiting him. In my case, the rural Midwest. He sought his fortune abroad um, and worked as an English teacher in Europe for much of his career. Uh, I'm I'm never going to write Finnegan's Wake. Good. Uh, <laughs> Good to hear. But I mean, I, I when I was about the same age as, as Stephen is in Ulysses, I was my thought was fuck this, I'm going, I'm going to Japan, and I'm gonna stay as long as I need to 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 do what I want to do. And being outside the U.S., I felt like gave me a lot of opportunities I wouldn't have had creatively, mm -hmm. um, just because I'm a member of a very small group, which are you know, English-speaking expats. So, like, in terms of 
especially theater in Korea, like suddenly there's a lot of opportunities for me because there, there are only so many people who want to do that. Right. Um, whereas here, I, I can't act at all, so <laughs> I can't really pursue that anymore. Um, anyway, I'm getting off track, but um, it, it, I really relate to, I think, Joyce's worldview, um, especially if Stephen, in that point in his life, someone being pulled back from their, their kind of release into the world, being dragged kicking and screaming back to where they don't want to be. And I, I think that's, I, I can really empathize with Stephen feeling like such an outsider and, and, and not wanting to be there. But, um, and I think that was a hard point in Joyce's life. Anyway, um, I, what I want to ask you is, um, do, you, do you sense any nostalgia in, in Joyce's work? Because he's, he's, he wrote it, you know, many, many years after he, he lived in Ireland. So, more for Tom and Dermot. I, I'm... Yeah. Are there things he looked at lovingly and, you know, or, or just remembered in that kind of soft, fuzzy light? The sepia glow. The sepia glow, yeah. Because I think, like, that, that quote about um, if, if Dublin were flattened by a bomb, it could be rebuilt based on the text of Ulysses. Yeah. That's Joyce. Joyce is the one who said that. That wasn't somebody talking oh, about wow. his work. That was his view of his own work. Very good. Was, uh, well, definitely. Never that... a humble man. Right. <laughs> but uh, I, I think that is, is kind of uh, rumpy as he, he certainly seemed to have been. Um, and as kind of cynical as he saw the world, I think that he, he did have a, a, a soft softness inside of him and any and i i think that he wanted to reconstruct dublin as he saw it and not as the other irish literary elites of that time particularly yates saw it he wanted yeah. to create his own version i think it will be interesting also to see the realizing his his complete works mm -hmm. and where his interests lay uh, mm -hmm. in in a majority of that and i would think it's Ulysses is obviously one of the most famous mm -hmm. pieces he's ever that he's written. There's a good reason for that. Uh, whether he's writing heart-wrenching, horrific uh, story within within Ulysses, or whether it's a happy moment or a dirty moment or whatever, mm -hmm. I would I would put that all under the same umbrella of of, of a massive uh, infatuation with Ireland, a love for Ireland. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I would think a huge uh, um, um, amount of missing, missing home, huge amount of that. Mm -hmm. um, and it still, it still is this amazing depiction of, of Dublin. Uh, at, at one in one day, it's mm -hmm. it's an incredible mm -hmm. view on, on on the world and how you see Ireland and how Ireland looks at the rest of the world. And, all cultures, religions, everything mm -hmm. molded into one. So I would think there is to, to pick out a specific one is very hard uh, to say. Yeah, it's it, it does contain nostalgia because. But mm -hmm. my overall feel from from the experience of reading the book is, yeah, this man absolutely loved Ireland, absolutely loved it, um, and captured such beautiful dialogue, um, and captured the hunger and the frustration and the and the the loneliness, all these things, which you have to, you have to love that. Yeah, I think he was place, or else he'd be writing about Paris, yeah. you know, and everything would be about Parisians and or Zurich yeah. or, or, or you know, other places or places he wanted to live and or, you know, the moon. I don't know, <laughs> but no, Dublin was what he picked on, and 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 he went after it with such detail. I think he was very frustrated too because a lot of the Irish literary revival types, your W. B. Yeats's and your Lady Gregory's and whatnot were portraying Ireland as a sort of like fantastical fairyland. Like, I just finished reading a, an article that he wrote and self-published, uh, very angry at, at Yeats for staging, or for the, I think it was the Abbey Theatre in, in Dublin for staging um, Yeats's portrayal of Dermot and Grania instead of uh, like some Ibsen or, you know, more, um, Politically minded or you know philosophically minded place from the continent, mm -hmm. um, and he just was disgusted by that kind of like obsession with uh, folklore and this sort of fairyland version of Ireland. Um, 
a Baudrillardian simulacrum, I think, is a copy of a copy of a copy of an original that never existed. And I think that's why Very good. you've got these writers that are all throughout the 19th century, all across Europe, and they're all making up these fantasy fiction versions mm -hmm. of their own country's histories. Walter Scott in Britain with Knights in Shining Armor. Uh, everywhere you look, you see this. And then these fictional visions of, of these nations become reified in people's minds like they actually existed when they never like did. Like the people you met on the Amtrak? Yeah, yeah. Instead of, instead of like, if they'd been a little deeper about it, they would have found maybe some really interesting stories about their great-grandparents instead of... Yeah. From the, the, the I mean, there's two sides to that as well. And this is after being in America for 10 years, how little I know of, for instance, your real past in detail. Now, what Dublin in general in 100 years, Dublin 100 years ago or in that time was catalogued so well in, mm. in, in that writing and in so, other, so many other writings and historical writings. Um, but the first thing I have to do is when I get angry or frustrated at somebody speaking to me with a Scottish accent, mm. oh, trying no. to be Irish or saying we something or asking for Scotch eggs or whatever it is. I've, I've also but seen I also your have to reaction understand. when someone came and was like, Let's get points, lads. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I have to also understand, I mean, you try, you try to go, okay, uh, somebody's trying to make a connection to you. That's actually a very nice thing. Yeah. Um, but also, if, if, if you were to turn around to me and say, Tom, what do you know about my hometown? Oh. Now, your hometown or your state is probably as big or bigger, possibly in population and size than Ireland. Mm -hmm. Who am I to say... A country that's thousands and thousands of miles away you everyone should have a really good understanding of no not at all yeah. actually it's not Ireland is not very well catalogued here mm. I mean I, uh, I don't want to I don't want to contradict myself but I mean as far as media is concerned and you know whether it's TV shows movies things that the mainstream element no it isn't and the little pieces that people pick up and hang on to um, are uh, I kind of have to accept because the more I get to know Americans and, her, and, mm. and the more I fall in love with American culture mm. uh, the more I realize how ignorant I am yeah. mm. oh, it got, works know? the other way like the Irish have a cartoon America in their heads oh, absolutely. Well. Yeah. My mother, yeah, when my mom came here she, I, I, I must ask her what she expected but she could not believe how green it is trees everywhere is beautiful Oregon just so beautiful you know and I, I in my mind I'm thinking because I haven't asked her so excuse me mom but I think she, she may have thought that it was the wild west yeah that it was dusty yeah. you know yeah trails and dust and cowboys and California or whatever elements are yeah I know traveling in Europe too and this includes Ireland um, I'll say I'm from Chicago because I grew up outside Chicago but I, I live there too and but I'll say, oh, I'm from Chicago, and people will be like, oh, Al Capone, bang, bang. I, when I studied in France, what? a lot of people go, oh, Chicago, Al Capone, bang, bang, gangster. And I was like, no. <laughs> About 80 years since that happened, but sure. You, know, you never once went, yeah, bang, <laughs> bang, gangster. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Keep your distance, buddy. <laughs> met a guy on a ferry in Ireland this is back in 2005, where he said, where are you from? Oh, Chicago. He's like... Mike Ditka, and then like stuck his hands up in the air. We're like, sure, we got him. Excellent. Yes. Mm -hmm. Very good. Yeah. Lovely. So, and then ER is the other one too. Everyone knows. Oh ER. yes. So we got Al Capone, we got Mike Ditka, and we got ER. Well, what else do you need? What else do you need? I know Leary's uh, cow. Is that your cow? This is only okay. That's right. Um, Allegedly. The, so the cow may be innocent. The this could be fake fire, history. So the, the, the story the I heard when I was a kid was that was that was a lie made up to just blame it on the Irish. But cool. it did start on Makes her sense. property. The story about the cow knocking it over is probably not true. That actually was made up by a journalist. Um, fake news. Oh, wow. Fake news. But fake it did start the in, in the O'Leary barn on the O'Leary property on the south side of Chicago. But there's a thought that there were some like vagabonds or something stowing away in their their barn, and that that may have been. Um, and it's worth noting too that there were barns in Chicago at that time and now we have to have cows and pigs and chickens in the zoo because inner city kids that grow up in the Midwestern states have never seen farm animals. So mm -hmm. you'll see a cow in Lincoln Park Zoo in Chicago. Learn where your milk comes from. It's probably the immigrants. <laughs> it's probably the immigrants in that shed. Yeah. yeah. 
Oh, if it wasn't one immigrant, it was a different immigrant. But yes, the no, Mrs. O'Leary, like she had to like retire from public life, and after that, like, like they named her by name, and then it wasn't her fault, and it destroyed her life. Yeah. Public shaming. Yeah. It's a tough so, subject matter. If they had had Twitter, then she really would have been. Much oh yeah, hashtag. Oh, I don't know. I'm not gonna think of hashtags. Hashtag O'Leary did it. <laughs> blame the hashtag wow. blame the cow. And then you'd have PETA being like, cows are innocent, beautiful creatures. Save the cow. I don't know. I don't, I don't think the cow made it. Nobody ever talks about the cow. Well, it tasted good, though. Well, it's probably well done. I mean, after That's the... That's one to remember. A dissertation on roast pig. We had that in our syllabus in school. A dissertation on roast pig when they originally, when the first pig was... Roasted. Roasted. Mm. Crackling, the whole thing. Let's find that piece of literature now. Okay. Remember that. Alright. Alright, I think we found a nice little resting place. Excellent. Are you, are you nostalgic for the dissertation on roast cake? That's a bacon yeah, sandwich. Now. You want a bacon <laughs> sandwich? <laughs> Alright, oh, I think yeah. we should break for lunch then, you guys. Very good. This was a pleasure, very Tom. Good. Thank you so much. Absolutely, the pleasure was all mine. Thank you very much. Right. It was great. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to the Blooms and Barnacles podcast. Please visit our website at bloomsandbarnacles.com to read our blog, which is updated weekly on Mondays with a new blog post and artwork about James Joyce's novel Ulysses. And you'll find a new podcast there as well fortnightly. We are on Facebook. You can search for our Facebook group, Blooms and Barnacles Podcast, on Facebook. And if you're on Twitter, you can follow us at BarnacleCast. You can find our podcast pretty much any place you find podcasts. That includes iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Spotify. Go ahead and subscribe, and you won't have to remember which week we're dropping the podcast. Also, feel free to leave us a review on iTunes, as that helps our rankings and helps people find the podcast. And if you leave a positive review, we'll read it on the podcast. Finally, if you want to get in touch with us, the best way to do that is through email. You can email us at bloomsandbarnacles at gmail.com. Please send questions and comments, and we'll read them on the show if we get any good ones. Until then, have a great two weeks, and we'll see you in two weeks. Bye.